a radio show that confesses Christ. Without confusing the law and the gospel. A radio show that takes scripture seriously. Without taking ourselves so seriously. You're listening to Table Talk Radio. And the problem that God has with that is that he didn't command it or institute it. He, he, he only wants images that he commands and institutes to be made. And when he makes himself, when, it, when the scripture says that Jesus is the very image of God, then he has made an image of himself for us, Jesus. And if we were to not have pictures of Jesus, then we would be breaking the second commandment. But now all this rests upon this moment and that you must do the right thing in order to reap the benefits of this. If you're going to be forgiven, if you're going to be atoned for, if you're going to get the imputed righteousness of God, you must then do this. And and this is what's so terrible about what we call decision theology is that it, it takes everything away of the gospel and puts it all back on the law. I mean, this is a stop the press sort of thing to see God, you know? Wow! That's amazing! Stop the song! Tell us about that! That's great! Radio's biggest headache, this is Table Talk Radio. <laughs> Welcome. <laughs> welcome back. But uh, mostly we have to say welcome for, to the first time because we have so many first-time listeners. Yes, because we don't have any returning visitors. <laughs> right. <laughs> I'm trying to figure out how this works. <laughs> oh. All right. Look at this. Well, I'm doing random theopedia to find the grace uh, to, to find the uh, buzzword, and it says grace, grace alone, sola gratia. Right. <laughs> I wonder if this is from Calvinists. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. Very good. So, in today's program, we're going to be starting off with some buzzwords and reading some emails, uh, and then we're going to be talking about being Lutheran in the wilderness of American evangelicalism. Oh yeah, you were at the Higher Things conference talking about that. Yeah, so uh, one of my friends is vicaring at Living Word Lutheran Church in the Woodlands, Texas, and they had a Higher Things retreat, and um, I was, uh, he offered to uh, allow me to, to come in and talk a little bit, so I, that was the topic that I chose, so we're going to be talking about that. Um, also, while we're on the topic, um, a friend of mine and I from the seminary, uh, on the way down there, had a little road trip and, and got to see uh, part of the country. And uh, I want to send a shout-out, a thank you to a couple of our listeners who put, put us up for the night. Uh, Sully and Christine in Jackson, Mississippi, uh, put us up for the night. And so just a, just a quick message to them. Uh, first of all, I left um, uh, 100,000 Table Talk Radio points in the refrigerator. Uh, that Those are for your use. And uh, nice. the deodorant that was left there is not mine, believe me. I know. <laughs> It's not mine. Why? Because you use uh, the Old Spice manly deodorant? Well, I just, you know... Does your radio host smell like me? (laughs) Between uh, between my friend and I, I could tell who left the deodorant in Mississippi. (laughs) Nice. (laughs) Okay. Uh, So anyway, uh, yeah, but thank you. They put us up, uh, and we appreciate that uh, very much. Um, All right, so that, and then in the third and fourth segments of the show, we're going to be... Playing some name that theologian, so it'll be a, a you know decent show today. Mediocre, mediocre. Yeah. We're, we're striving to maintain our mediocrity. Yes, I love how the, our listener, when they write to us, they say, <laughs> "Keep up the mediocre work." I know all of them, uh, both of them too. They, 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 I know, they I know. say that. Not, good, uh, wonderful substandard show today. <laughs> I know. <laughs> we're just. I mean, so I, you know, I used to have on my uh, on my wall a. Uh, 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 a poster and it said, um, "How did it say this? Uh, low expectations, 
Low disappointment. <laughs> Isn't that your motto that of also, life? That also said, uh, uh, no brains, no headaches. But I think that was a band from the 80s that someone put up there. Yeah. Okay. I'll take your word for it. All right. Okay. Uh, let's do some buzzwords. What do you have? You better go first. I'm still clicking. I'm having trouble this morning. <laughs> All right. Fine. Uh, my uh, theological click, buzzword. Can you hear it? Click. Click. It's like... Uh, I thought that was your. I don't your... need to know all these, uh, all the professors from Westminster <laughs> Seminary for heaven's sakes. I thought that clicking sound was you was you thinking. Click, click, click. Uh, my theological buzz phrase for you is "Office of the Keys." Oh, nice. And I like uh, it. the Office of the Keys is the uh, special authority that that God gave, Jesus gave His uh, church on earth to uh, bind and retain sins, and this is exercised publicly through. The office of the holy ministry that God calls men uh, to the ministry to publicly exercise those keys, so that um, when sinners repent, that uh, God has sent an individual to, in, in His stead, to uh, forgive the sins of those who repent. But for those who do not repent, um, that authority is also to retain those sins, uh, so that uh, we we uh, repent to receive the forgiveness of sins. Okay, what are you doing over there? Oh, just uh, getting some coffee. Why? What's it sound like I'm doing? Uh, having a party, jumping up and down, <sighs> playing ping pong with the microphone. <laughs> Pietism is my buzzword for you, by the way. Nice. Look at it. Came up on Theopedia. I bet these Calvinists love to write this first sentence. Pietism was originally a reform movement in the German Lutheran Church during the 17th <laughs> and 18th centuries. Yep. Fine. We recognized it as wrong, unlike you Calvinists, though. <laughs> uh, let's see. What do they here. say about it? Uh, the most predominant trait of pietism is its emphasis on practical active piety. Praxis pietis. Piatius. Rather than on doctrine. This involved, among other things, an emphasis on performance of good works, scrutinization of daily life, diligent study of scripture with particular reference to its moral teachings, the centrality of forming a personal and experiential relationship with God, and disassociation from worldly practices such as dancing and non-religious reading, inevitably leading to separatism and a sense of exclusivity. Um, let's see here. You got the Puritanism, but the, basically Pietism. Oh, and we live. It's talked about continental Pietism as if it didn't jump over and, and completely dominate American life. You know, I, may, I mean, maybe the Calvinists would want to distinguish between Pietism and Revivalism, which is which is the kind of birth of American religion. It's born in, but they're the, basically the same thing. And the, and the and it's this. Pietism says that. Growth in good works is more important than clarity in doctrine. How about that for a working definition? Growth in good works is more important than clarity of doctrine. So, so you have uh, uh, the most important thing is: Am I doing enough good and serving God enough, etc.? Now, the, here, here's the here's how this manifests itself in uh, in our Lutheran churches: is that you have all these people that we're um, we're in fellowship with because we have got the same doctrine. But the pietist does not see fellowship as a matter of doctrine, but as a matter of works. So they look across the churches and they say, look at all these great Christians that do all these great good works. Uh, and, and, they, and the fellowship then is a, is a matter of, uh, it's a fellowship of love rather than a fellowship of, of truth. And it, it, re, it tries to reshape the church that way. It's really uh, quite dangerous. Okay, so pietism. Got it. Um, 
Let, uh, are we going to go to some emails? You know, you, you're, oh, yeah. you're the commander of the emails today, so uh, yeah, read, sure. read the uh, Table Talk Radio mailbag hey, there. We just got a, a new one here uh, just yesterday. I got some older emails here if we have time. But Hello, my name is Teresa. I'm one of the great multitude of Table Talk Radio fans. Uh, our fans like us are slightly deluded, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you might... Oh, someone mentioned, by the way, uh, that since we know the names of all of our listeners... <laughs> We should we should be able to get big money for advertising because we can we don't give demographics of who listens we can actually just give the name of the people nice okay Teresa continues I thought you might like to hear about how helpful playing table talk radio games can be while attending a church service this last weekend I did something very out of the ordinary for me and on Sunday night I visited a different church than the one I normally attend I attend a liturgical Lutheran congregation and did go Sunday morning but was curious to see what other churches are like too. I can't believe that I did it, but I went to one of those happy, clappy, prosperity gospel churches. The church's tagline, quote, was, it's not church as usual. After I left, I was thinking if, uh, that if it's not usual, then it must be unusual. <laughs> well, I agree with that. It certainly was. The best part of the church service was that it gave me the opportunity to think about and play several table talk radio games during the service. Your games helped me to think critically and theologically, and they were really helpful. First... The service began with a long praise song session, and I naturally did some praise song crunching. All the songs would have scored very high on the mystical scale, repeating the same words over and over again in incomplete sentences. There was no law or gospel or mention of Jesus, for that matter. As the band was swaying, arms raised, squeezing out tears from their closed eyes, I was told repeatedly that I will praise God. While the others shouted amen or hallelujah, I wanted to shout, Why? <laughs> <laughs> That would have been great. The songs told me absolutely nothing of who God Jesus is, what he has done, or why he's worthy of being praised. Isn't that fa That's fantastic, Teresa. Uh, praise song cruncher in action. Yeah, that's right. And that, that that's why we do the games here on Table Talk Radio, right? So that we can, uh, uh, you can, you can play these when you have to go to these other churches. Yeah, <laughs> yeah when you're some sort of uh, prisoner of war, evangelical prisoner of war. Just remember to cross now, your fingers at the whole thing. This is um uh uh when you know Evan, do you remember back when we were starting about talking about doing this show and we said let's let's do the game show and let's do it like this that we'll we'll have some games and we can as we explain the games it'll teach people how uh, some discernment and then when we play the games we'll show show it how it happens. I mean that's really why we do this whole thing, uh, and so this is great. But Teresa continues. Do you have time for some more? Uh. Yeah, real quick. Okay, after the 30-minute music manipulation came the sermon, if I call it that. The man talked for 45 minutes all about himself. His sermon would have been an excellent candidate for the biggest loser game. We haven't played that lately. It, uh, there was only the briefest mentions of Jesus, and even at that, it was very passive Jesus. God wants to bless you if you focus on Jesus, not an active saving Jesus. I'm sure his weight loss would have been easily 97 to 99%. <laughs> Yeah, that's right. We need to play that again. That's where we uh, analyze, uh, hint, uh, excuse me, sermons and and try to cut out the fat. Um, well, let's let, let's take a commercial break. We'll be right back and uh, we'll continue this. If you want to send us an email, do so by sending it to questions at tabletalkradio.org. We'll be right back. Not really one of the best decisions you've made today. 
You're listening to Table Talk Radio. Welcome back to Table Talk Radio. Uh, questions at tabletalkradio.org is the email address that you can uh, send us all of your complaints about the show. Um, Pastor Wolfman is in the middle of reading this email of someone who's figured out uh, what they can do at Table Talk Radio other than to uh, uh, scare away rodents. <laughs> you know they have those, those, have you ever seen those little things you plug in that makes this weird noise so it's supposed to scare away like mice and stuff? That's what this show is. Your audio pest control. Yeah. <laughs> Turn it up and scare the bugs. <laughs> oh, yes, Teresa from Maple Grove, Minnesota. She's writing. She says she's played. She went to visit a, 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 a church service, on not her church, and they. she played Praise Song Cruncher during the 30-minute music manipulation. And then she played Biggest Loser during the sermon. And then finally, she says, there was an altar call after the sermon. A youth pastor spent 20 minutes calling people up and praying over them while he was doing this. There was soft emotional music being played in the background. Bonus! I also got to play How to Tell if You're Being Emotionally Manipulated by a Youth Speaker. One of my favorite games. Both to play and to act out. Plus, he also... Someone is going to come up with a How to Tell if You're Being Emotionally Manipulated by Table Talk Radio, by the way. Are you worried about that day? No, I've already had people tell me about that. <laughs> oh, really? Yes. <laughs> How do we do? Emotionally uh, manipulating people. Pretty good, according to this person. <laughs> All right, plus, uh, the, uh, Teresa continues. He also raised and lowered his voice a lot. I can't remember what he talked about. Good. That's how Evan talks about me uh, when I do my mic skills. Oh, gosh, are you kidding? Man. He's <laughs> like, like he's never used a microphone before. <laughs> Playing the Table Talk Radio games was far more interesting and intellectually challenging than anything that happened during the so-called church service. So thanks for all the great games. Sincerely, Teresa. <laughs> Got it. Thanks, Teresa, for the feedback and for playing the Table Talk Radio games. Fantastic. Yep, that is that is why we do it. So uh, these games uh, are for your um, interaction at home. So, Okay, being Lutheran in the wilderness of American evangelicalism. This uh, I, I wanted to do a presentation on this because this happens that uh, teenagers or whomever um, grow up in the in the Lutheran Church all their lives. All their lives, they're they're well catechized, um, but it's when they go to their friend's house or um, they're invited to, to go to this or that, and and uh, they're exposed to, to our, our brothers and sisters in Christ, but they have a completely different angle, a completely different. Uh, perspective of Christianity that if we don't talk about this, then then one might be mistaken of, of how this works. And the worst case scenario is someone who told me that that they went to a, uh, a uh, some sort of a, a Christian high school, uh, not a Lutheran high school, but a Christian high school. And this person, as a high schooler, uh, was told that they didn't think that uh, that they were a Christian because they were baptized as an infant, and so. So here we have uh, you know, Lutherans who grew up all their lives uh, just knowing Lutheran vocabulary, Lutheran perspective, and, and, and it, it's helpful then to, to understand where other churches are coming from. Um, but first, I mean, I think the, the first thing to talk about here is is what makes a Lutheran a Lutheran? What, what's distinctive about uh, the Lutheran church, about Lutheran theology? 
And uh, this is always an interesting conversation because there's actually a, a pretty wealthy list here. If you're to sit out and write out the things that, that are unique uh, to Lutheranism, I, I think you, you come up with a pretty good list. Um, but I started with Law and Gospel. You think that's a pretty good starting point, Pastor? Yes. Uh, I was just listening. I was enraptured. I was like I was there at the Higher Think Youth Conference listening to you. <laughs> Plus, I was checking my email. Yeah. But I do also think Law and Gospel is a good place to start. Yeah. Uh, so, so... <laughs> Don't let me throw you off. <laughs> no, that's so the, what is it, Evan, about Law and Gospel that's unique and because, different well, from okay, evangelicalism? Because Law and Gospel, uh, from our understanding of Law and Gospel, we get our understanding of justification. That God is wrathful through sin and sinners, and that, that man is entirely depraved, uh, that, that man can do nothing to, to bring himself before God, to show himself worthy to God. Um, the, therefore, so so we, we deserve the wrath of God. Um, so that's the law. The, the gospel, then, is that though we deserve the wrath of God, Jesus wears that wrath of God in our place. Um, and and so so we have this understanding of 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 universal atonement that Christ died for all, and that uh, that the the benefits of of forgiveness and and life and salvation are given to those who have faith and belief. So uh, this, this I was just checking to see if universal atonement was the buzzword. <laughs> that sounds buzzwordy, but it isn't. Yeah, look it up on on Theopedia. Oh, that would be good. <laughs> Universal atonement was originally a reformed movement in German Lutheranism. Oh, wait a minute. Right. So, so uh, uh, with this with this Lutheran understanding of justification, this separates the Lutheran Church from any other other church body. In Roman Catholicism, you have uh, the teaching... <laughs> I, I just looked it up, by the way. You ready for this? Yeah. Universal atonement is the view that Christ's work makes redemption possible for all, but certain for none. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> you want to respond to These that? These Calvinists, man, if you want to make them upset. It's like... Uh... <laughs> you, just, you just talk about universal atonement. Or you try to switch the station when R.C. Sproul comes on, or you talk about universal atonement, and you'll send the Calvinists through the roof. <laughs> All right, sorry. Sorry to interrupt. That's okay. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty used to it, so don't worry about it. All right. <laughs> so, so law, gospel, universal atonement, then uh, what comes next? Well, I just think that the, the, this informs our, our view of justification, so that uh, which separates yeah. us from, from all other church bodies. Um, Roman Catholicism, that your works have merit... But also in uh, American evangelicalism, that 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 justification is for your for becoming a Christian. But now that you're a Christian, you must improve a better a better life. So um, so I, I go through some of these Lutheran distinctives: um, baptism, baptism, Lord's Supper, Word and Sacrament. That God's word is efficacious. I think that's a Lutheran distinctive. Would you agree with that? Yes. Oh yeah. Um, so the God's in fact, word I think is, that's the Lutheran distinctive. Yeah. By the way, I mean, when it really comes down to it. But yeah, yeah. So because no one else, had, everyone else, the God's word is informative. But it's now, but in for for we understand that the Lord's word is creative. It creates faith. It's a means that the Holy Spirit uses to work. Right. So um, th- this brings us to this discussion of of how words are used differently. So now um, I'm going to say a word, and then Pastor Wolfman there is going to define it. <laughs> 
as a uh, Calvary Chapel type. Oh, answer the question I asked? Yeah, yeah, okay. And <laughs> what is... Hold on, let me channel Skip Heitzig here. <laughs> I don't even know who that is, but... <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs> what is worship? Worship is our offering our praises to God and pouring out ourselves to him because of who he is, uh, because he's so great, and because of what he's done. Right. So, uh, a a Lutheran, well, not right, but good job, (laughs) at least. (laughs) We get points for that? A Lutheran. This is is the not safe game. Answer the question as. The not safe game? Yeah, this is dangerous. This is the don't play at home. This is like the... This, this answer the question as is like the swallowing sword game on Table Talk Radio. <laughs> I gotta get points for that. I'm gonna give myself 500 points. Five? No, 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 no. I'll give you 200. Easy there. Okay. Um, so okay. So with a, we have to have a different understanding of worship. Worship uh, in the Lutheran understanding is our receiving God's gifts, uh, so that God gives us uh, life, salvation, and forgiveness through word and sacrament in the context of the worship service. And so this is primarily what worship is about. Now, we do respond uh, to God in, in praise and prayer and, and through hymnody, um, but, but that's not the reason we come. The reason we come to church is to receive the gifts that the Lord would have us receive. Um, so that's that church. Okay, now, ready for another one? Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, we have about uh, a little over a minute here. All right. Uh, what does it mean to be born again? Oh, to be born again means not that I've just accepted the faith of my parents or uh, <laughs> some sort of tradition that I grew up with, but, but that I've, that I myself have made a decision for Christ and I've turned my whole life over to him. Uh, I've, I've let him into my heart to dwell there, not just as my savior, but also as my Lord, so that he informs what I think, what I do, what I say, uh, and, I've ho- and, and I've, I hold nothing back now. My life belongs to him. 200 more points. All right. We need to tell a 400. Um, now, you don't, you don't hear... I have to wash my mouth out with soap after this. <laughs> you don't hear Lutherans talk about being born again too much, but uh, it's in Scripture. We have it there. In fact, where it comes from is, is John chapter 3, and it's talking about holy baptism, so that we understand our, our being born again uh, is found with the water and the word, so that uh, our baptism gives us new life in Christ. And that's the, the, the center of being born again, not some decision or giving all of your life to him, um, but rather it's about God's gift to us. You're listening to Table Talk Radio. We're going to finish talking about uh, being Lutheran in the wilderness of American evangelicalism right after this. Don't go away. You're listening to Table Talk Radio. This is what it is. This is who I am. You are listening to Table Talk Radio, Serious Theology, Seriously Bad Hosts. There is no way to capture the wonderful gifts that the Lord gives in baptism, but I've worked on a baptismal certificate that tries, that tries to capture the scriptures and the Lord's teaching of grace and mercy and forgiveness in baptism. Baptismal certificates that you can hang on the wall and treasure for a lifetime. 
If you go to wolfsoncreative.com, you can find these certificates. Order them for your church or for your family as well. That's W-O-L-F-S-O-N-C-R-E-A-T-I-V-E.com. And we're back on Table Talker Radio. Uh, we are that's, music, talk- that's like a Mario Kart after he drank a case of Mountain Dew. Does Mario drink Mountain Dew? <laughs> that song is too fast for this early in the morning. <laughs> Wake up. Come on. All right. I'm tired. I can't remember if before the break I was excited and jubilant or a little bit tired. Can you remind <laughs> me how I was? It was a, a long commercial break. Uh, all right, we are talking about uh, being Lutheran in the uh, world of American evangelicalism, um, so that when when uh, your Lutheran theology clashes with Pietism, you know what to do. Um, we have t- we just got done talking about being born again, and we're playing uh, answer the question as. So oh I w- yeah, I remember now. I will, that was exciting. I will give myself <laughs> 500 points for using the theological buzzword, and then what was that? Oh, Pietism. Oh. Sh- you're running circles around me. <laughs> All right. <laughs> answer, so answer the question as I'm ready. All right. What is faith? Uh, faith. Oh, this is tricky. Faith <laughs> is accepting the gifts of Jesus. No, they wouldn't say that. Faith is accepting Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Uh, so, so faith is is handing your life over to Him. Ah, that's what it is. Trusting uh, Jesus to take care of you. Um, the, the pro. I, How's that? Well, I'm just gonna, gonna say that might be true for uh, one who is coming into the into the faith. Christianity. Oh yeah, I see. But how how would faith no. be defined for for someone who's been you know a Christian for ten years? Well, faith is always manifest in obedience, but it's but so it's this constant. It's this uh, so so faith has this sense of um, uh, it's like signing over the deed to your car kind of thing. So that <laughs> yeah, o- yeah. obedience is a matter of letting Jesus in. You see, so have you yeah, let him in? Have yeah. you given it over? Have you, and so it's your life is now a constant. Uh, uh, you're checking to make sure that you've you've given it all over. Uh, this is what this is now the definition of faith. So it's an act of the will. That's why children can't have faith apparently because they don't know how to do things, um, and they don't understand right and wrong, etc. So faith is knowing what's right and doing it. That would be another way to have it. Nothing about promises. That's the problem. Is you can't have faith without a promise. It's like if I walked into the room and and you just yeah, you're sitting there. I didn't say anything, and you said, "Oh yeah, I believe you." Now I'd say, well, you're nuts because I didn't say anything yet. There's right. nothing to believe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's the. Uh, I mean, th- that would be the Lutheran view of, of faith is that faith is a a, a gift that we receive completely passively, uh, a, a gift that's given to us by God's word, and uh, and and faith faith is simply just receiving the promises of God and and, and therefore believing in them. 
Um, so this this passive activity. So this is why I mean uh, we kind of talk past each other and we say, uh, do you believe that we're saved by faith alone? Both both sides say, yeah, yeah, I believe in that. Uh, but how that word faith is defined uh, divides divides us on uh, how salvation really comes about. I had a marvelous conversation yesterday with some Gideons. You know, they come by, they're showing me the video and everything, and then I said, "Yo, look," I said, "I'd be I'd be all for this whole Gideon deal, except for this theology that you put in the back of the Bible." Like, oh, there's no theology back there. What are you talking about? This is a little. <laughs> Little helps and aids and a little decision page. And I said, yeah, the decision page. And they said, what do you mean? And so we were talking about that. And they said, but there has to be a point where you accept Christ, right? No, it's nuts. It's like saying there has to be a point where you decided to be born. I mean, you just were born. There had to be a point where Lazarus accepted life rather than just stayed dead. No, he did the Lord does it by his word and spirit. He He gives us life. He He dumps his promises into our heart and gives us a heart to believe them. Yeah. Good. Well, uh, that, those are all the words that are fine. But just one other thing. I, I talked about in my, my little session at this Higher Things retreat that um, that the, the, the evangelicals have um, almost, like Lutherans have, go the all way, the, the, the evangelicals go... Kind of, but almost. I'll give you an example. Lutherans have infant baptism. Uh, general Protestants don't have infant baptism, but they kind of have something similar with the baby dedications. Uh, and so, nice. I like um, the way this is going. <laughs> uh, so you don't you don't really have sacraments, but you have almost you have ordinances that go the same way, which are which is really nothing at all. Um, okay, so here's one for you, Pastor. What would be the evangelical equivalent of confession and absolution uh accountability partner yes that's what i said okay everyone at the retreat this weekend uh said the the altar call no no yeah see okay that serves a different sacramental purpose accountability (laughs) partners yeah okay so this is how it works uh you 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 get together with uh, a partner you have an accountability partner and you have certain, you know, this actually comes from John John Wesley with the Holy Club. This is why they started calling them Methodists, because they have certain methods to know why, whether they're saved or not. Um, but, but you get together with, you know, a partner or, or a group, and then they ask, okay, how do we do this week on on not sinning? And there's only one of two responses to that. You either become a Pharisee and say, oh, I'm doing a good job, and everybody pats you on the back, uh, which removes your need for, for Christ. Um, or you say, "Oh, I, I, I didn't, I didn't do so well this week," and then you get their finger shaken at you. And you say, "Well, you need to try harder at that. You need to do it this week." Uh, and so yeah. there's, there's hardly ever any gospel in these accountability groups. My uh, Gideon friend, one of my Gideon friends, was a Nazarene, and I said, "Oh, yeah, the, uh, the old Wesleyan sinless perfection thing." He says, "Yeah, my, I was just talking to my pastor about that this week because." I'm supposed to teach a Bible class on sanctification, and I told him, I can't teach that we reach a state of sinless perfection. And I said, well, you're not a Nazarene then. <laughs> <laughs> How do you really respond to that? <laughs> it's like, well, maybe you're right. Maybe I'm a Lutheran, he says. <laughs> hey, you were just telling me about your uh, your post guy who came and saw his religious art, and you said, too bad you don't believe it. You're probably a joy to visit at the church. <laughs> Yeah, that's right. I don't go I mean, to that I only church. care about one thing. <laughs> no, he, my my mailman, my atheist mailman, he's a nice guy. <laughs> okay, that's it. Let's play some uh, name that theologian. 
And uh, I'll, I'll go first if that's okay, Pastor. All right. Yeah, yeah. Go, go ahead. Um, how this works? You is think we... you got a stumper? Um, I no, know. I just have something good. Um, I, be, I bet you'll get this. Uh, but uh, the way uh, named that theologian works is that we read three quotes from theologians, and then the other person has to guess uh, who the theologian is. So uh, easy enough. Now this first one is a pretty lengthy quote. So if you need to uh, stop and take a breather, just let me know. Okay. I'm ready for you. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> this is why I have 500 points for my buzzword, because you're just you're still getting the sleep out of your eye. Okay, here it is. For- I have 400 points for something I have here in the <laughs> You don't even remember. Okay. For one thing is surely clear, and here you will have to agree with me, namely that everything which we experience, the elevating as well as the terrifying, and above all, death, addresses its question to every man. Think for a moment of the way in which men see themselves called into question by the manifestations of our transitoriness, especially in war. You have only to think of New Year's Eve and how some men hold their ears and cry amidst the din, let us eat and drink for tomorrow we are dead, while others spend the same hour, this symbol of man's passing away, in prayer and viewing it in light of eternity." Both of these responses make it clear that all men, the one kind as well as the other, hear in this moment the grass of time growing. All all are aware of being confronted by the question, what road are you on and how near are you to its end? Only in the answers is there a difference. Both are asked the same question. The question of death veritably cries out at people, screams at them, and so many try to smother its screams with a gag in the mouth. They stifle the cry, whether it arises when their own life is in danger or when a comrade falls at their side, or when they see the stiffened hordes of the enemy scattered across the battlefield. They have two cudgels in the hand for jamming into the screaming throat of death. One is to say that, th- that one is transpiring here is simply a segment of nature, it is the rhythm of becoming and perishing where there, uh, which he expresses itself in the fact that we must die. That's all there is to it. However furious the, temple of, the, the tempo of war, it, it, uh, it is nothing more than this natural rhythm. What's the other cudgel that you put down the throat of death? I don't know. Because oh. you're reading from the paper you wrote? No, I'm, no actual... it's referring just to having you know, two cudgels that... Okay. That's a really quite stunning thing. Uh, the death doth pursue us all the way, and we're and it and it forces this kind of existential reality that we have to come to grasp with. Uh, yeah, this is a this is an amazing quotation. In fact, I want you to send it to me so I can preach it today. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Um, yeah. So so here, you know. The, the, the reality of death faces all men, you know, believers and unbelievers alike. Um, they either, you know, pray and, and find this reality, or they try to say it's just a, a natural thing. So we'll be right back to talk more about it. It's always better when we're together. Yeah, we'll look at the stars when we're together. Well, it's always better when we're together. Yeah, it's always better when we're together. In a recent survey, 98% of listeners can't stand Table Talk Radio. We would like to express our gratitude to those who did not participate in the study. 
Listening to Table Talk Radio, and we Man, are playing. bumped out with Jack Johnson and bumped in with Leonard Skinner. This is your day, isn't it? I uh, know. All of Pastor Wolfmiller's favorite bumper music on today's program. We are playing Name That Theologian, and Pastor Wolfmiller has heard one quote so far. You want me to reread that first one? <laughs> no. <laughs> Got it. It was a nice quote about death. Okay. Well, here's uh, and and, and the, here's the series of main point here. Uh, everyone is dying. You know, we talk about natural law and how the law is the contact point for people's spirituality. And here he says, death is that contact point, which is nice. I try to make the same point, I think, every time I talk to the old atheists, because atheists also will die. And they got their big whole, hey, uh, we're being evolved, so death is a good thing to uh, uh, shtick, to try to avoid the pain of death, but it just doesn't work. Aha. So there's an existentialist kind of thing here. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are all headed towards death. Right. All right, I'm ready for the next one, unless you want me to guess now. Nope, because you could probably get it, though, I think. You think you could get it? I don't know. I'll, I'll keep it. Give me, you better give me another one. Therefore, I think I got it. Therefore, uh, for life in the flesh death is not only the boundary behind it, um, but also the shadow above it, that is, above the course it runs. Death is not an unmotivated, sudden punctuation mark placed at the end of life's sentence. But it is a target which determines the flight of the arrow even ahead of time, that is, during its flight. Insofar as I live according to the flesh, I am living under the rubric of this terminal annihilation, which of, which of necessity already determines the curve of my life. Uh, John Paul gives expression to this apocalyptic view in his, and I can't read this book title in German, but the quote is, Death appeared to me as though it set my watch. I heard it chewing on man and his pleasures, and time seemed to crumble away into the abyss of a stream of decay. Whoa. Yeah. John Paul. That's who said that. Yep. Is that John Paul Sartre or John Paul the Pope? No, Jean Paul. <laughs> Jean Paul. Jean Paul Sartre, the <laughs> existentialist. Uh, so, so here I was on to this existential thing a long time ago, by the way. And by long time ago, I mean like five minutes ago. <laughs> oh, well, you have one more. Are you ready? Yeah, sure. Life does not regain its durability again until life in the flesh becomes a life in Christ. Then the connection with the divine power of life is restored. Then, though we die, yet we shall live, John 11. In this case, life is no longer characterized by an impending death casting its shadow back upon it. We sit in the shadow of death, Matthew 4 and Luke 1, causing us to live in hopelessness and succumb to the eleventh hour panic. No, then we are in the circle of the Lord's power who has overcome the forces of uh, disruption and of the entire human, uh, the entire divine human catastrophe by joining our hand to the hand of God again for in him the whole fullness of the deity has become bodily to us Colossians 2 and eternal durability has settled upon a life anew death's unnaturalness is victoriously counterman countermanded by our new destiny hmm. 
Yeah, I only understand about half of that, which um, is why I think this is a one of these German theologians. <laughs> um, and I and I just also happen to this is a bit of an advantage for me because I know you're working on some of this stuff <laughs> for a paper. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I suspect that this is a uh, this is the German theologian Heimel Tielicki talking about death. It is good job. Hey, Two hundred hey. points. Uh, now this is this is fascinating because um, uh, and actually this re- relates um, very well to what you said about the the atheists who are dying because um, he points out how uh, death must be personal that be, that uh, we have this connectedness with each other. And so when we have this connectedness to each other, death is a big deal. But when you talk about death of people in the abstract, it's it's not a big as big of a deal. And in my paper, I relate this to. Uh, do you know who Peter Singer is? This uh, bioethicist yeah, yeah. from Princeton, uh, who had uh-huh. had the standard of of um, human rights to be what the person can contribute to society. So if the person can't contribute to society, he has a low value of life. Uh, and so he had some very radical notions about euthanasia, that because these people can't really contribute to society, we should you know, let them let them euthanize and things like this. Um, until his own mother was suffering from an advanced Alzheimer's disease, and he, he spends all kinds of money to, to, to keep her alive. And someone, someone confronted him about this contradiction, and he said, well, it's different when it's your own mother. <laughs> and so so obviously this this connectedness uh, um this connectedness uh changes how we view death. Now Telicus says that our connectedness is not only with our fellow man but our relationship with God. Even even for the for the uh the non-Christian because uh, as we've talked about before in this program that all people have a relationship with God is just either a relationship of grace or a relationship of wrath. So so that Helmut Telicus sees that death is completely unnatural because uh, what what God originally intended for us is to live live with Him in the garden, and to be with God is to be with life is is life. There's no death where God is, but when man sinned, um, he separates himself from God, and then there is death. Yep. So that's, a, that's uh, it's great. Pretty good. Pretty good. Um, the, the the first quotation I read you was uh, in a letter that he wrote to one of his students who was in battle, and then he the student actually died. Uh, just shortly after receiving this letter, um, but he he talks about how death is so abrupt because um, he receives this um, this letter from a, from another student of his, um, and before before this student could re, could reply, he was killed in battle, and they found and he found a a letter in in his stuff that was half written, so he was right in the process of writing to to Tilica to respond, and he said that you know this is. This is a microcosm of death, that, that we are in the midst of life, we have plans and aspirations, and all of a sudden it's just ended by death abruptly. Um, and so to live in the flesh, as, as Tilika talks about, is to, uh, is to always be, you know, like you can't get rid of your shadow. You know, it's not like you, you know, whatever you do, you can't get rid of your shadow. So, so we live in this life, we can't get rid of this, this death that just, just plagues us until we have life, life in Christ. So... Right. Uh, pretty, pretty good. Uh, pretty good volumes. I would critique him though that uh, he doesn't talk a great deal about sin, uh, but rather just this problem of death. Um, and I would, uh, I think that would be if he if he would articulate sin uh, that that we're not just victims of this death, but we were willing participators. Uh, I think that would 
polish, polish off his volumes very nicely. Yeah, that's a good point. I think um, uh, I think it was when he was quoting Tilika that I realized that our friend Professor Pless had this a bit of an existentialist streak in himself also <laughs> when he was here. But that and that's one of the marks of uh, the existentialist is that uh, it's this great passivity to life, you know. Yeah. Now um, uh, th things are just happening to you. So. Now we only have a couple minutes left. You just want to keep talking about death rather than, or, or do you think you get through your quotes in two and a half minutes? Uh, no, we better keep talking about death. I can't believe we're done. <laughs> Seems like we only did half a show today. Or something. I know, I know. You were only I you, have were, a nice you were only quote. here for about half of it. So <laughs> mentally. Uh, okay, uh, so I want to from a from a pastoral perspective. Um, What's what's the most common spiritual concern when when um, your people are are facing death head on? Uh, for me, I, I, you know, I I think that uh, death kind of becomes the last throes of the the battle that is our Christian life. So uh, we're always flesh, devil, world fighting against the spirit and the new man, and that the, the devil will launch his last attack when our last hour comes. But I think, I, I, this conviction has been growing in my mind, and I don't have any scripture to back it up, so if, you, if someone wants to disagree with me, then I would just immediately concede. But I think that the Lord um, brings us at the end of our lives to a point where we can where we can do nothing, where almost always we're completely dependent on on his on his gifts, uh, we, we can't even talk. We can't do, keep ourselves alive. We can't breathe on our own power or whatever it is. All we can do is, is be given to. And, and, and so the Lord kind of brings us back to how we are when we were children. And so that all we can do is trust his word. We, the, the illusion of our own goodness can fade away. And we, and we have that, uh, in the midst of that, we, we have then nothing of ourselves, but only, um, only the Lord's promises of life and salvation. So, so I think to to be there and to be bringing the Lord's word and to and to have those our dear friends that are dying in the faith surrounded by uh, psalms and prayers and hymns and things like this uh, is the number one at least practical concern. So that so that the Holy Spirit can continue to work and 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 strengthen their faith in the in the hour of their death. Yeah, very good. Um, with with about. You have twenty. We have twenty-five seconds here. I remember one time oh. you talked about. Uh, I think you talked about on issues, et cetera. One time where you you walk into a, a hospital room and everyone's just like you know, talking about the person's birthdays or whatever. And you walk in and say, uh, "You're about to die. What are we gonna do about that?" Um, yeah, you you got to face up to the fact because Jesus has overcome death in the grave for us. So there's nothing for the Christian to be afraid of. Yeah, very good. All right. Well, that's uh, that's the, the end of our program. So thank you all for listening to this edition of Table Talk Radio. Where the points are like the nutritional value of iceberg lettuce. <laughs> You've been listening to Table Talk Radio. The views expressed on this show are that of the hosts and do not reflect the views or opinions of this station. We would like your feedback on today's show. Call us toll-free, 1-800-385-SOLA. That's 1-800-385-SOLA. Or send us an email, questions at tabletalkradio.org. You can listen again to this show or any of our past shows on our website, tabletalkradio.org. Thanks for listening and tune in again next time to Table Talk Radio. <laughs>